I invite you to turn with me in the Book of Praise to page 557, 557, where we find Lord's Day 43, explaining to us the meaning of God's ninth commandment. This is the confession of the church. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Question 112, what is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. That's the confession of Lord's Day 43. In response to the preaching, we'll sing hymn 82, hymn 82, all four stanzas. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we take a look this morning at God's ninth commandment, we enter into the area of communication, of sharing thoughts and ideas and words with one another. Communication is a massive area, and communication is a powerful thing. Maybe you know that saying that the pen is mightier than the sword. Messages move hearts, and hearts move people to do things. We know about moving hearts right from our experience every Sunday. The Holy Spirit uses the words, the message proclaimed from the pulpit to strengthen us, to comfort us, to refine us, instruct us, direct our steps, correct us sometimes, often maybe, and otherwise to build us up in faith and faithfulness as God's people. But even outside of church, the spoken word is a powerful thing in society. Think of the political speeches held at the political rallies, and how people get whipped up in support of the candidate. Think of the power of a very few words, like the words of a tweet. Think of what happened with Elon Musk's tweets in the last few weeks, using less than 140 characters, no less, indicating that he might purchase Twitter, and what happens, millions of people react, some in disgust, some in support. Just a few words on a tweet. So words, the words we speak, the words we write, they carry weight, and they can either cancel you 
or they can make you in this world. They often have more power than physical weapons. We know that too on a personal level. Sometimes the words we speak to one another, they cut. They cut deeper than any knife, and it's near impossible to forget them. And then there's communication without words. For example, when a prime minister bends down on one knee in the middle of a BLM protest, people understand exactly what he's saying. I'm with you. I'm with your cause. It's a clear statement of support. When advertisements on YouTube or television shows, when they put before us scenes and pictures and sounds, then a message is being conveyed to our minds and our hearts, our emotions, that usually leave us feeling quite attracted to that thing, and we want to participate or we want something about what's being shown. We're drawn to it. Communication is powerful. And this is why deceptive communication is so dangerous and why true messaging is so precious and why our Savior taught us to love the truth and avoid all deceit. That'll be our theme this morning as I bring you God's Word. Follow Jesus in avoiding all deceit. We'll see two things. We are not to deceive others and we are not to let ourselves be deceived. Do not deceive and do not be deceived. It's important to keep in mind that we are not dealing in the Ninth Commandment with, with truth and lies in some kind of an abstract situation. This commandment, like all the others, is not about theories like the theory of communication or the theory of falsehood, but it very much has in mind how our communication affects our neighbor. It's even emphasized in the wording of this commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now that expression, bearing false witness, brings to mind immediately the courtroom. Imagine your neighbor is being accused of a crime Imagine you don't like this neighbor very much. Maybe you have a, a powerful dislike or hatred for him, and you then might be tempted to speak a lie on the witness stand in order to see your neighbor convicted of that crime and thrown in jail. Now, the Lord gives in this commandment an, an extreme situation, an egregious act of perjury that most of us would recoil from, we would see that as something cowardly, as something evil. Very much like those two false witnesses under King Ahab. You remember what King Ahab did to Naboth, his neighbor? He set up two, and, and Queen Jezebel helped him set up these two false witnesses to speak against Naboth in a legal setting so that Naboth was unjustly convicted of the crime of blasphemy, and they took him out and they stoned Naboth to death. So that falsehood perpetrated by Ahab and Jezebel led directly to the murder of an innocent man and to the theft of his property. 
That's a horrible crime, right? That leaves you sick to your stomach when you think about it. But let's now take this whole matter closer to home, for the reality is there's lots of ways to use communication against our neighbor in such a way to hurt our neighbor. There's lots of subtle ways. The Catechism mentions a few of them. I must twist no one's words. Have you ever reported what someone said or did, but just changed the words slightly to give it a different meaning to the people you're speaking to? Just give it a different color. Put that person in just a slightly different light. You can do it by leaving a few words out. You can do it by adding a few words. Maybe you do it for a joke at somebody's expense. Get a laugh at somebody's expense. It can also be more sinister motives where we do something like that to make the other people think negatively about that person that we're talking about, a person we don't like very much. We all need to ask ourselves what is going through our mind when we feel it necessary to report to other people what so-and-so said or did. What's going through our mind? Are we seeking to be truthful? Fair? Upright? Thinking the best of the neighbor we're talking about? Or do we want to make our neighbor look like an idiot? It's that impulse to make somebody look bad that can be so strong we don't hesitate to twist words. We don't even hesitate to use the truth as a weapon sometimes. That's what's included with the word gossip the Catechism mentions. Gossip, that could be spreading rumors that you simply don't know. Nobody knows whether they're true or false. They're just rumors about a person. But gossip is also when you know that the story being told is true. But it's a story that ruins the person you're talking about, that person's reputation. And there's no need for you to tell that story. You could have kept the whole matter to yourself with no harm done, but the moment you tell the story, lots of harm is done. In both cases, whether we're dealing with rumors or whether we're using the truth, the purpose in sharing the message is to run our neighbor down. It's to hurt our neighbor. And that, brothers and sisters, is sin before the Lord. And we're so prone to it, aren't we? That's really the litmus test. That's how we know that we are sinning with our communication. When our aim is to injure, to wound, to take that person down a peg or two. Now, on the other hand, it's not that we can never speak true things which could sting or hurt the individual. For example, when a godly person approaches me and rebukes me for my sinful behavior, when they point to something I've said or done and say, my brother, look, what you did here, what you said there, that is offensive to God. That's not right. You, you need to change that. You need to repent from that. 
then when I hear them rebuke me, that would feel like a slap on the face. Nobody likes to have their sin exposed. But when our sin is brought to light in that manner, it's actually a blessing. As David says in Psalm 141, let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. My head, let my head not refuse it. A godly rebuke will turn me back from sin, so rebuke me if I have sinned. That's what each of us should be saying to our neighbor. That would be using truth to build up, not to tear down. You know, the Lord Jesus did not hesitate at certain moments to give sharp rebukes when it was needed. For example, when Peter, his disciples, scolded him for talk of suffering in Jerusalem, Jesus said, I, we're going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to, uh, the Son of Man is going to be, fall into the hands of the chief priests and the elders. They're going to beat him. They're going to make him suffer. They're going to put him to death. Peter pulled Jesus aside and said, no, 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 Lord, don't talk like that. Jesus turned, says the Scriptures, and rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Would that not have stung, hurt Peter? But he needed it. It was for his good. His thinking was against God's plan. Had Peter been left in his error, he would have been a pawn in the hands of the devil. Deceit is so easy to fall into. And you and I, we can even engage in it and think that we are so righteous in doing so. Isn't that what happens every time somebody gets canceled in our current culture? You've probably heard about that. I think most of us have. To cancel someone. That means to verbally pounce on that individual and attack them for something they said or something they should have said but didn't say at a crucial moment. And, and people see what was done or not done and they, they judge that to be so offensive, so wrong, that such a person has to be completely silenced. They've got to be rejected by everybody. And people don't wait to hear the other person's side of the story. They don't wait to find out all the facts. They simply shout him or her down. They simply write him or her off. And all of a sudden, that person, that individual, is persona non grata. Nobody wants them around. Nobody wants to associate with them or their brand. Nobody wants to listen to them. When this happens, and it has happened multiple times, people lose their jobs, they lose their income, they lose their friends, they lose their community. And all of this happens whether the thing that was supposedly done actually happened, yes or no? Whether the thing done was right or wrong, whether... There is true repentance from a supposed wrong, yes or no. It doesn't matter. At a certain moment, there's a critical mass against that individual, and he or she is canceled. 
That person has been judged, as our catechism says, rashly and unheard. So there's no reason, there's no investigation, there's no fairness. It's rashly and unheard. And it's one of the most insidious sins against the ninth commandment in our society at the moment. And a lot of this happens online, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Maybe you've seen it, and I wonder, have you ever participated in it? If we jump on board and spread popular hashtags that condemn someone without hearing that person's defense, without knowing all the facts, if we just jump on board and, and share that or, or like what's going on or some kind of hashtag gets passed on, then we have sinned against our neighbor. It's so very easy to do because everybody's doing it. It's very popular to cancel certain people. We can just pile on the judgment. Isn't that what happened to Jesus in the courtroom of Pontius Pilate? Jesus was canceled, wasn't he? Nobody in that courtroom besides Jesus was interested in the truth, the facts. All Pilate wanted was a political solution so that the peace could be kept and his job could be kept. The chief priests, they wanted Jesus' blood, and they were looking for all kinds of ways to do it. They even brought forward false witnesses and false charges. And then they stirred up the crowd. When that wasn't quite enough, they stirred up the crowd that was there to make them yell for Jesus' death and for the release of an actual murderer, Barabbas. Crucify Jesus, release Barabbas. Crowds were whipped up. You know, crowds are easy to manipulate with lies and propaganda of one kind or the other. Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, all they do is make it easier to get the crowds going. Brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of your Father in heaven, do this. Refuse. Refuse to be part of the mindless crowd that jumps on the latest bandwagon and screams bloody murder and demands blood. Refuse to be that. Instead, be sober-minded as a Christian who seeks justice, who diligently searches out the truth and who refuses to be deceived. For that's the other side of the coin here in this ninth commandment. We must not deceive others, but we also must not be deceived. We must not let ourselves be swept up in things like cancel culture or be blown along by every wind of teaching that comes through the social media. For to do so would be to support deceit it would be to aid and help along the lies that are being told here and there and everywhere. And to help the lies would be to assist the captain of the lie, Satan. That's what Satan is. Jesus called the devil the father of lies. He invented deceit, Satan did. 
This is what Jesus says in John 8. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. There's no truth in that fallen angel, Lucifer. He's a liar through and through. So when we lie, when we go along with a lie, we help the devil. When we deceive or go along with someone else's deceit, we are shoring up the kingdom of darkness. Do we give enough thought to that, beloved? Are we aware of the reality and the intensity of this spiritual warfare that plays out so very much in everyday communication? The Apostle Paul is talking about this in Ephesians 6, which we read in verse 11. He says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the, of the devil. What is the number one scheme of the devil? Lying. Deception. That's, that's his main play. That's why a little bit later in that passage in Ephesians 6, the very first piece of defense equipment we are told to put on is the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. Truth versus the lie of Satan. This is the great spiritual battle of this last age of the earth. We're not battling with clubs or guns or hand grenades. It's not a battle against physical flesh and blood like it was so often in the Old Testament, but it is, says verse 12 of Ephesians 6, it's a battle against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's the demonic realm. It's a battle of ideas, beloved. It's a battle of messages. It's a battle for the truth of, of God's word over against the lies and deception of Satan. And those lies, they come from all directions. I've mentioned the internet as one source and the general public out there. Lies could also certainly come from within the church, right? Out of church members, out of church teachers. The Bible talks about false teachers arising in the churches of the New Testament already, and we know many false teachers have arisen in the centuries of the church. But lies can come from anywhere. They can come out also of the realm of the civil government. And I want to circle back to that this morning. I mentioned a few sermons ago that I would come back to that, the Lord willing. I want to pay special attention to the civil government. Why? Because it's a growing issue in our time. And as Christians, we have to give this very careful thought in the light of Scripture. Is Satan 
using the civil governments in our country to spread his lies. Is that possible? Is Satan using the civil realm in our country and other countries to attack the kingdom of Christ with his deceit and lies? Now, when we spoke about the civil government in connection with the fifth commandment, we affirmed that we must have respect for the civil authorities. We must submit to the civil authorities within the realms prescribed by Scripture, within the limits. Governments each have their jurisdictions, and no government may forbid what God commands. So on the one hand, we should certainly not approach the government as an enemy, for they are servants of God, Romans 13. But on the other hand, since civil governments are made up of sinful people, and mostly they're made up of sinful, unbelieving people, we should approach governing authorities with caution. There's a need for discernment and wariness on what is being legislated, what is being promoted. Just think of the Roman government under which Paul and Jesus both taught, under the Caesars. The Roman government made a point of saying that Caesar is Lord. That was a saying in the Roman Empire. Caesar is Lord. And they meant by that a divine Lord. He's God. What was the response of Jesus, of God, of, of Jesus, of the apostle sent out by Jesus? They said, Jesus is Lord. In other words, the lie of Satan put out by the Roman government was counteracted with the truth of the gospel. We should have it fixed in our minds, brothers and sisters, that the civil authorities can, it's possible, I'm not saying it's happening in every instance, but it certainly is possible that they are used by Satan to undermine the truth of God with deceit, with trickery, with lies. The Lord Jesus pointed this out too in Mark 7, which we read when he was challenged by the Pharisees for, not, for having his disciples not follow the tradition of the elders in washing their hands before eating. Now, we've seen this before. The Pharisees, as leaders in the Jewish Sanhedrin, that was the, the ruling council, they were both part of the church authority and the civil authority for the Jews. For Israelites, those two were combined, ecclesiastical and civil authorities. And so the Pharisees, they developed many laws and traditions in addition to the laws of God taught through Moses, which they expected the people to obey. And so they, they challenged Jesus, why are your disciples not obeying the tradition we have laid out? Jesus says in response, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. Hypocrites, he calls those civil leaders. What's a hypocrite? Someone who says one thing, 
but does the opposite, and mostly does the opposite when people aren't looking. Can civil leaders today be hypocrites? How many times didn't we see governing officials demanding certain things of the population but not doing those certain things themselves? How many times in recent years I'm talking about? How many videos didn't we see, see of, of politicians who in their respective legislatures were demanding that mask mandates be for everyone but on Friday night they show up in a crowded public bar dancing with no mask? Or they show up in a public protest for one of their favorite causes, no mask. Or they vacation in a public setting in another jurisdiction with no mask. Or they get their hair done in a private salon when they had banned the, the all hair salons from being open. We should not think that there's no hypocrisy or couldn't be hypocrisy in the civil realm. Just like Jesus, we honor the authority figures as servants of God, but that doesn't mean we're blind to their hypocrisy, much less go along with it. But Jesus said more about these Jewish authorities. He says of them, or to them, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You leave the commandment of God. You, you abandon God's command and you hold on to your tradition. The tradition trumps the command of God. And Jesus singles out, rather ironically, the fifth commandment to honor parents. The Pharisees, they were teaching people a way to get around the honoring of their parents, to get around supporting them financially when they needed that help. You could get around that, said the Pharisees, by taking those, that wealth of your house or some precious things in your home, and if you you make it korban. That is, you, you make a vow and you promise to give it to God at some future point, usually after a person would die, then that meant they couldn't give that wealth in support of mom and dad in the meantime because it was dedicated to the Lord. This is what the Jews were teaching, the Jewish civil ecclesiastical leaders. They would benefit in the long run because eventually that, that monetary thing in the person's possession would end up in the temple coffers. But in the meantime, the mom and the dad would have to suffer want because their child went along with the scheme. It was a perversion of justice. It was a complete upending and even negation of God's holy commandment. And Jesus rebuked them he even says very powerfully, you make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. There's your mic drop. Ecclesiastical authority, civil authority, rife with hypocrisy, using deceit, at every turn to overturn the law of God. What is that but the work of Satan? Not that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests would ever have thought they were working for Satan. They thought they were true servants of God, and they thought that Christ was working for Satan. They were deluded. Sometimes people say that, you know, 
about our current leaders or current civil leaders, they, they say, well, look, you can't, you can't say that our civil leaders are consciously out to promote Satan's kingdom. There is no evidence, it is sometimes said, that governing officials intend to break down God's kingdom, that they intend to persecute the church. But human intention is not the primary thing here, is it? Cosmic forces, demonic forces in the background, they're the ones pulling the strings. The question is, what is Satan's intention? And we need to ask, is Satan capable of using human authorities to do his work even when those authorities are not aware of it? Answer, of course he is. He's been doing it all throughout history. The Roman emperors, they had no clue they were servants of the devil when they said, Augustus is Lord. The Pharisees had no clue they were servants of the devil, nor did the corrupt authorities of communist dictatorships today in North Korea or China. They don't speak or, or acknowledge the devil. Nor do the Muslim oligarchs who will suppress Christianity. None would confess them as working for Satan, but all are unwittingly doing exactly that, aren't they? It's the same with so many philosophers those who trade in ideas, thinkers who promote ideas out of their own head for their own purposes. Maybe they're thinking that with their philosophies they are bringing light to the world, but meanwhile the devil is using them to bring darkness. When those ideas do not come out of Scripture, it is not light but darkness. I'm spending some extra time on this, brothers and sisters, because I think it's a very pertinent issue for all of us today, this whole civil government and the truth. And I'm concerned that we might at times be naive when it comes to the civil authorities in Canada, that we are giving them a free pass from careful examination when certain laws are passed, specifically laws pertaining to public health. This is the new area that we've all been challenged like never before over the last two years, and it's taken us all aback. We've all had to wrestle with this in one way or the other. And in that scenario, the last couple of years, the reaction sometimes has been, look, the government, the government is in charge of public health, so we Christians and we church, we just must simply obey and submit without any question. Public health is their realm. Does that make biblical sense to, to not raise any questions? Do we do that without, with any other legislation that comes from the very same governing officials? What about if the government in its public health measures is acting outside of its jurisdiction? Do not individual persons have a say in the risk management of their own health? Or do they just have to obey what the government says? Do not church consistories have a say in the risk management of the congregation? Or do they just have to do what the church says? Or what the government says? Have these various jurisdictions even been taken into serious consideration by the civil authorities and by ourselves? 
Does God really expect us to say without question, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir? Is that what he wants from us? And what if the government is, and I'm not saying they have been, I'm just raising the question, what if the government has been deceitful with its reasonings and presentation of statistics, with what the risks and the dangers really were and really are? Again, I'm not saying they are, but should we not inquire into these things? Should we not get to the bottom of these things and examine the proof that's offered by the government? You know, as church, we had to do some very, very, very serious things. Do we all consider that carefully? What am I referring to? We, we've had to do things over the last two years that no church had to do in the history of our country. We were made on several occasions to shut down we had to forbid you, the congregation, from coming to public worship services, gathering as God's people for weeks at a time. Do we realize that our consistory in doing so was forced to set aside the clear commandment of God? Fourth commandment, right? He commands us to gather in person. We had to say, no, we're setting aside that commandment to obey God the instruction of our civil authority. Do we not have a duty to examine whether that was based on truth, whether it was justifiable? After two, more than two full years, should the government not be able to provide clear evidence that those shutdowns were necessary at the time that they were invoked and that they were defensible in the eyes of God? And if it turns out so, then well and good. But if not, then we're going to have to grapple more with both with what we did at the time and what we will do if it should happen again. The truth is, brothers and sisters, governments, civil governments can lie, and at times they do lie. Canadian civil governments can and do lie they engage in deceit at times for various reasons. Did we not see this in the recent conversion therapy law where the truths of Scripture in that law, you can read it for yourself, they are called myths. It's now in the criminal code that this book is just a book of myths. The premise is upheld that biological males can become females and vice versa and no one may counsel against it these are lies from satan or what about the idea now enshrined in canadian law that a man can marry a man or a woman can marry a woman how does god look upon that that's a lie right we still accept that that god teaches that's a lie it's a falsehood and doesn't our federal government do everything it can to promote abortion as a quote-unquote right in our country? And doesn't it regard the murder of children in the womb as just a woman getting rid of some unwanted cells? These are our civil governments in our country. These are evil ideas that bring untold harm to countless individuals and families. Now, if the same governing officials who believe all those things are true, 
If they're the ones in charge of guiding along and making the various health laws pertaining to COVID-19, does it not behoove us to pause and ask some penetrating questions and examine the arguments and the data and see for ourselves what the truth really is? We must not allow ourselves to be deceived into believing and upholding whatever lies there might be. Because when we do, we are playing into the devil's hand. However, truth stops the devil in his tracks. Standing up for justice when we see injustice. Standing up for what's right in God's eyes when we see someone trampling on that even if we have to stand up to the civil authorities like we already do when we write respectful letters or join the March for Life or other peaceful protests, Satan hates those things. Those things counteract his lies. Standing up for the commandments of God, for the kingdom of God, for the gospel of Jesus, this is all part of our calling in this ninth commandment. It's part of loving the truth. It's part of doing what we can to defend and promote our neighbor's honor and reputation. If we allow lies to thrive, lies hurt, lies tear down, lies corrupt and destroy because they are from the devil. And that's all that the devil knows how to do is break down. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus, was not afraid to call out the civil authorities when they engaged in deceit and hypocrisy. So let us not be afraid either respectfully, carefully, having investigated first, not rashly and unheard, but nevertheless, courageously. Jesus maintained truth in everything He did, and in the end, He was so hated for that, for living out the truth, that He was put to death by the civil authorities, both the, the Jewish and the Roman. And it's by that death that He has saved us from the the lies of Satan. He's paid for all our sins, also those sins that we've committed against the truth when we've been deceitful or participated in deception. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus, we have forgiveness for all of those sins, all of those deceits we repent from. And in Christ, we have the strength to stand up for the truth for the glory of our God and the good of our neighbor. Amen.